No changes are given. And this is the No Change Given podcast with me, Sophia Herod. It's a podcast all about change. And the guests who join me pave the way for a new and better world. In light of climate change and Ocean Awareness Day, I wanted to delve into why the ocean is so important for us and how does it serve us as humanity and how can we serve it. And this is an episode all about people who are doing just that, raising awareness about the ocean and how we treat it. So I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. So hello everyone, I've got Linda and Eric here with me who are from Bowsea and it's an ocean and climate awareness group. What is Bowsea? What do you do? What are you all about? You tell us in your own words. Uh, Bowsea was founded by Linda um, in 2011 um, to help uplift student voices through the process of creation and creating art. So what we do, as Linda said, is we host this ocean awareness contest where we give students a platform to use their creative skills, whether that's you know, creating a painting or writing a poem or writing a story or performing a dance um, to learn about and um, speak out against the climate crisis. And then what we do is we take these thousands of submissions that we receive every year, um, review them, pick the winners, award the students. So, you know, like validate their voices and their creations. And then also um, we have like publications, like a yearly yearbook um, to help spread student voices. We share them in exhibitions at galleries and museums, um, pop-up events at conferences. Um, And we do a lot of work to, after the students have submitted it, spreading their voices and sharing their words. Um, And What we found is that the contest is an incredibly powerful teaching tool for these students. So we always run or we always send out a survey after the contest has completed um, to just to kind of see, like, what did our students think of it? How did it impact them? Um, And what we find is that um, this is specifically from our 2022 survey is that um, 77 percent of our students learned more about the climate crisis through their research. Um, 83% said that the creative process helped them personally connect with the climate crisis. So, you know, rather than this big nebulous thing, it's something that they understand, like how it fits into their lives and how they may see it and what they can do. 65% were inspired by what they learned um, and changed their actions to positively impact the environment. Um, And 76% of our students feel more confident using their creative skills to speak up for the environment after participating. So you essentially use creativity in order to um, create more awareness around climate change. And it's it's mostly based around the ocean though, isn't it? From your Instagram, your social media. Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) it's a podcast. We have to speak, not nod. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I mean, it started with emphasis on the ocean um, originally, and then we have obviously grown into addressing climate change because the greatest impact on our oceans is climate change. And um, with not only, you know, warming waters and acidification and habitat loss, but the oceans really sort of drive the weather patterns and the storms and, you know, create these horrible storms and flooding situations. They also um, help drive some of the droughts that go on just with weather patterns. So we are realizing it's all encompassing. So what's definitely happening to our oceans is um, it's it's scary, really. And um, so it's actually dovetails really well with ocean health, climate change. And so it 
the last, I think, two or three years, we've been focusing much more on climate change than than individual other things that are impacting the ocean, like plastic pollution. We started that early on, even before it seemed like it became a um, much more worldwide known thing. And we have some tremendous um, artworks from kids back, this was 2014, 2015. How's the ocean changed in terms of the science and how is it affecting people? Um, and you know, I wish we could say good things. I think there's much more awareness about what's impacting our oceans, especially in terms of plastic pollutions. And you can see whole countries, like I was just in Rwanda uh, right before the pandemic, and you can't even bring a pl- any form of plastic into Rwanda. And not that it, it is um, not on the coast, but people are realizing the, the actual horror that plastic pollution is causing in our oceans. And with microplastic and, you know, people, it's in all of our bloodstreams now, it's in our beer, you know, microplastic is is really everywhere and um, it's in our water supply. And so we really have to do something about it. But you see all these bans now within countries, within communities. And um, so there is a difference being made, but unfortunately, the microplastic is still in the ocean and we have to figure out a way I think, to um, how to harness it out of the ocean. So why is microplastic bad though? So in our bloodstreams, what does it do to us and what does it do to the fish? Yeah, so there's a lot of different reports out there. But so first of all, microplastic is based on petroleum and it does not go away. It can break down in smaller and smaller pieces, but it takes thousands of years for to really disappear. And what it does is it acts like a poison pill. In in the ocean, it can attract other toxins. So it becomes more toxic over time. And if it's in your bloodstream, it can have serious health effects depending on how much you have. And the real danger that we've seen is how it affects marine animals. And you probably are familiar with these poor whales when they die and they open their stomachs and you just see pounds of of nets and, you know, buckets and things like that. Um, Birds are ingesting it, uh, plastic. And you can see that when they do, you know, autopsies of their stomachs. And and, and unfortunately, you know, the, the famous photograph of the turtle with a straw sort of ingested in its um, mouth. And, um, you know, it's really very harmful how much animals, especially sea animals, are ingesting. But now camels are ingesting it. Um, so it is, it is a huge, big issue. But people, unlike in 2014, people are really aware of this and are addressing it. So that's a good thing. Mm, things like yeah. the sea spiracy really helped, didn't they, with that? Sorry, Eric, you were going to yes. say something. You go for it. Yeah, I also <laughs> just wanted to say, like, these plastic, these microplastics that are, like, breaking down um, and, like, kind of accumulating these toxins that a lot of these animals are ingesting um, oftentimes start out as, like, big pieces of plastic that then get, like, baked by the sun and broken down and with waves and stuff broken down more and more. Um, but what we've found is that plastic is also a really great entry point for these students to understand um kind of the climate crisis or like issues affecting our ocean because uh it's something like tangible that they can see often um many of our students like go to the beach and they see plastic wash up in something so it's something 
very relatable um, and something that a lot of students um, like to focus on, even with the greater like climate crisis theme, because it is connected, as Linda said, like it takes petroleum to make plastic. Um, it's emitting fossil fuels like through the production and then the plastic breaks down and causes all of these other issues. Um, and that's something our students really like cling on to and is a great entry point for them as well. Yeah, and it's an emotional thing as well, isn't it? When you see plastic wash up in the ocean, you see those pictures of the straw with the turtle. It, mm -hmm. It's emotional. And I think that's why the creativity works so well with the the climate awareness, because we all feel very emotional about it. But for people who are aware of themselves and the environment, they don't want to see that. So how hard is it for you Eric when you were a student and you know you were the younger generation and you saw the older generation not caring about the environment how hard was it for you to see that happening it it was really hard um but the other thing that I think has changed that we see with a lot of our students is I was kind of I I've been an ocean lover my entire life um and it took me a long time to like really realize everything that was going on. Um, so I was kind of like in the dark, like I knew a lot of the, you know, like save the whales, like a lot of that kind of broad general stuff, but I wasn't learning about like ocean acidification or um, like really how bad plastic pollution is or how, you know, carbon emissions are impacting our oceans until I was much older. So it's been, really heartening to see a lot of our students are becoming aware of that much earlier. Um, and that's due to like the work of countless educators. Um, and I, we, we know a lot of students learn this from our contest as well. Um, so it's great to see that there's not this like ignorance anymore. Students are now becoming aware of this and they're demanding better. So even though um, when I was a student, maybe it wasn't talked about as much, or at least I didn't encounter it as much. Um, it is really heartening to see that students aren't accepting that anymore. Mm. And Linda, going back to the beginning, why did you begin Bow Street? What made you really want to start there? Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's a good question. It started off really as a, as a documentary. We do a lot of sailing and that's since I was a little girl, I've always sailed and I fell in love with the ocean because I just love being on the ocean. It's a spiritual connection for me. And I have two daughters. And at the time when I made this documentary, they were, I don't know, 12 and 14. And I, we sail from Massachusetts up to Maine. And I, I don't know, I got it in my head that I wanted to explore the issues that were happening in the Gulf of Maine. And so we, I asked my daughters, okay, we're going to film, we're going to ask scientists, we're going to have interviews with people on our four-day journey up to Maine. And they actually did the filming. I had them do segments. I had them prepare questions for some of these scientists and authors. And I felt that it was really important for them to get involved by actually doing it versus like reading a book. And I know that experiential learning is really impactful. And so anyway, so this documentary was made and it was um, addressed issues like overfishing, um, uh, seabird restoration and lobster. It's a very, lobstering is a very um, minimally invasive fishing practice anyway. And then it was shown on main public TV and then I thought, what am I, what else am I going to do? And I sort of was charged up after the documentary. 
And so then it started as a, I said, okay, let's have an essay contest and um, about these issues in the Gulf of Maine. And then it, um, we got 67 entries the first year. And I was watching my daughters go through high school, hating writing essays. And I thought, what, I'm an artist. Why, maybe we should open it up to art. And that's when Bowsey really sort of took off. And um, it really engaged students and teachers about um, that we have a different theme every year that we ask the kids to explore. And Eric, through the years, has created this amazing like resource studio so kids can learn from with different links and videos and games about the theme. And anyway, so once we moved to art, then it opened up to middle school, then we opened it up to poetry and dance and music. And all of a sudden, every year it took off. And, you know, we get a couple of years ago, 6,000 submissions a year. And it's... Um, the impact is really wonderful. So that's a short synopsis. Yeah. And Eric, what's your involvement with Bowseat? Yeah. So I joined Bowseat um, a little over two years ago now. Um, and I'm the program manager. So I oversee the contest. Um, I'm you know, helping oversee outreach, making sure that students are aware of our contest, that it's something that they can participate in, that we want to hear their voices. Um, I'm conducting workshops where I'm talking to teachers and students um, and helping them think about art as a tool for advocating for the environment. Um, and then this summer, when our contest closes, um, I'll oversee the judging process and make sure that all runs smoothly um, so we can decide the winners and um, start spreading wor the word. Um, I also help with um, like organizing and setting up exhibitions. Um, so I see my job as my role is to, you know, see a lot of the day-to-day -day of the contest, um, make sure everything's running smoothly, make sure students feel supported. Um, and then also once they've provided us with their art, what they've created, making sure that it is um, accessible and that people are able to read it um, because the creation part is one side of it and then also spreading the word about what our students have learned and what they're really passionate about is the other half. So I see myself on both sides of that. And Linda, how important is it to you to have young people's voices heard and their creations shown? Oh my God, it's 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 everything. And it's um, so much of why I do what I do. And um, I do believe it's, you know, it's important for, I think my generation, you know, 60 and older, to show young people that we care, that we support them, that we um, wanna empower them, that we care about their future. And so I think I am, that's what really drives me. And I was just listening to a podcast yesterday about the teen mental health crisis in this country and around the world. And there was one statistic that the suicide rate for teenagers nearly doubled from 2017 to 2019 and nearly tripled for age groups 10 to 14. That's so young. Um, and now it's only increasing. And that those stats came before COVID. And I think, you know, as someone who's older, it's really important for me to provide spaces, sort of safe spaces, nurturing spaces, creative spaces for young people. And that's part of the reason that we created this youth council, which we've talked a lot about the contest, but not the youth council. And um, 
and we can probably get into that a little bit later, but I think it is this feeling that kids are, well, they're resourceful, they're remarkable. It's so different than when I was growing up. I mean, you know, I'm not even sure what I, I did had summer jobs, but it was like, uh, you know, I, I'm not even sure what I remember doing, but now kids are organizing their own programs, organizing their own organizations. There's a youth movement and kids are taking things into their own hands like never before. So there is this energy and passion. Um, and I don't know, I, I feel like part of my role is just to support these young people in the um, things that they want to accomplish. And it is a point to make that older generations do care. And there are people out there who are trying to make an effort. And I mean, mm -hmm. at university, I remember I studied natural hazards. So we studied climate change within that as one of our modules. And back in 2000 and well, I don't know, 11, maybe, I, I'm not sure now, 2012, 11, um, we spoke about uh, climate change and we said, you know, we've not got much time. We need to be doing something now. We need to be taking action. And I can't, at the time, I remember feeling so frustrated. I felt like my voice couldn't be heard. I felt like my passion just couldn't be contained. I couldn't sort of channel it into something. And I think things like this are really important because it makes people feel when they're feeling that frustration. And as you said, mentioned mental health, mm -hmm. it helps your mental health if you have something to channel that frustration into. And the program is just definitely something that I can imagine does that for young people. So well done, both of you. Um, but I also want to know, let's go back to the science of the ocean as well. Obviously, we use it to to eat. We have fish from the ocean. But why is it so important to us? There's lots of different well, factors, aren't there? There are. And it's and, and so I'm not a scientist, but I have been reading a lot about ocean health for, for many years. And, you know, one thing I like to say is, okay, like, Sophia, take a breath. Now take another breath. Now that breath came from the ocean. So 50% of the oxygen that we breathe is from the ocean. And, and that many people, it's even more, I think, than than trees. I mean, there are other um, mechanisms for oxygen, but what's happening is that these microorganisms that produce oxygen are threatened by acidification because the ocean is the number one sort of carbon holder. And so carbon sinks into the ocean and, and causes acidification, which then changes the pH level in the ocean, which affects these microorganisms, plus like a lot of the shellfish that we eat. Um, so to me, that that's a huge, huge threat. The other one is obviously people talk about sea level rise. So it's the melting of the sea, the warming of the sea. That's going to, um, I don't know, the scientists have different reports how that's going to impact coastal areas, flooding, you know, all these around the globe, all these cities that are really going to be wiped out in 50 to 70 years. Mm -hmm. And to me, those two things are the major threats. And I don't know if Eric, you have other ideas or? Yeah, I want to kind of um, go off of like what you were talking about as of the carbon sink in that like the cause of the climate of the climate crisis at the end of the day is um, greenhouse gas or heat trapping gas emissions um, and carbon dioxide is one of the major ones that's what's you know released when we're burning fossil fuels and all of that stuff um, and the ocean um, 
gets acidic, as Linda was saying, but also these organisms that are releasing this oxygen oxygen that we breathe are also taking some of that carbon and like locking it up, preventing it from warming our atmosphere. And then when these organisms die, they sink to the bottom and kind of create, um, they lock that carbon up and prevent it from being, you know, released and contributing to the increased warming. Um, so the ocean plays a huge role in regulating the climate and um, like protecting ocean health, not only um, will provide, you know, more oxygen for us, it will also help curb increasing temperatures. So it's kind of this feedback loop where when we decrease the health of the ocean, it will also accelerate climate change. So that's another reason why, you know, the ocean is so important mm. to protect. Yeah, and I like to think of it a little bit like if our particular environment is warming up, we notice different bugs, don't we? We notice different organisms around, and that's probably what it's like in the ocean too. As soon as that starts warming, then everything around changes. And I think that's what's happening, isn't it? It's very much a symbiotic relationship, and without the ocean uh, being well, we can't really be well. And as you say as well, not to mention the flood risk, you know, and, and much of the environment. I'm not sure whether you've heard one of my podcast um, episodes with Mark Linus, who wrote the book about climate change and the facts that, you know, what can happen at the worst case scenario. And, you know, London would be underwater in the worst mm -hmm. case scenario. So it's definitely something to think about, isn't it? And it's definitely something that affects us all. But let's go back into what some of your other programs. So you've spoken about the competition. What's something else that you run as one of your programs? Yeah. So as Linda mentioned before, we have our Future Blue Youth Council. Mm -hmm. And this was really born out of the fact that, you know, I mean, Linda noticed we have this huge youth community and we want to, you know, keep in touch with them and keep working with them. Um, so it's open to alumni of our programs um, and they serve, you know, a year long um, term. And they are like they come from all different backgrounds. They're all, you know, older high school students or young college students um, who join as advocates and idea makers and artists. Um, and they contribute their talents and skills to furthering Bowsuit's mission, um, whether that's through writing blogs, um, contributing and like running their own social media account, um, helping out with education. And they also see uh, oversee our fellowship program, which was actually you know, created by our very first council. Um, and the fellowship is open to new and emerging youth projects, um, environmental projects from all over the world. Um, so the Future Blue Youth Council is selecting these projects and then acting as mentors and um, advisors, you know, overseeing their projects, acting as the liaisons, um, offering up their own backgrounds and skills to help these projects flourish. Um, so we have, we are kind of getting started with our 2023 cohort of fellowship grantees and the projects range um, vastly like we have students in Cameroon who are helping farmers set up um, like bee colonies to help ward off elephants from, you know, trampling their crops and, you know, posing a risk to the humans there, um, while also, you know, pro providing a home for bees, which are beneficial to the environment as well. Um, we have students in New Jersey in the U.S. who have a tennis ball recycling program that they're looking to expand 
um, because, you know, tennis balls have that fuzz. They shed those microplastics that, you know, end up in the ocean. Tennis balls, once they lose their life, often end up in landfills. Um, so it gives new life to the tennis balls. Um, and we have, you know, a student in Malawi who is helping create and spread and educate her community about, you know, more efficient stoves that release less CO2. So that it's the idea is really to support these youth leader projects um, and have our youth council um, support their peers and kind of create a community of practice and learning um, through communication with each other. Do you have anything to add to that, Linda? Yeah, no, I, Eric did a great job explaining mm. it. And I would just say that, so this program started about three years ago. And before that, we were an online program. And so we would get the submissions and we would read their, you know, we with each submission, we asked them to do a um, like response almost. Mm -hmm. And I missed seeing the kids in real time and getting to know them. So it was, it is so wonderful to actually spend time, even though it's over Zoom because they're from all over the world, but to get to know these young, great minds and the students is really, is really wonderful. And, um, and then to see the success of these sort of grant, the grantees too, is really wonderful. And I just love thinking about what they're creating, what they're doing in their communities, and like the bee farming one is just, it's fascinating. I never knew that elephants were afraid of bees. And um, it just, so it's it's a great learning experience. And I love that it's youth led, sort of youth for youth. And um, it's now becoming quickly my favorite part of Bowsey, just spending time with these young people. I, I had no idea elephants were scared of bees either. I know. It's such a brilliant natural way to do it, isn't mm -hmm. it? We just almost need to become more inventive, don't we? And do you mm -hmm. think, is your hope that everything that you're doing is really going to help with the fight towards creating a more conscious world and a more climate-friendly world? I mean, that's the intent. And I think, um, you know, bit by bit, step by step, all these, you know, these like little stars of light make a difference mm. so yeah absolutely and if you could sort of have one message to anyone listening who doesn't necessarily care about climate change or doesn't know much about it what would you want to tell them i can take this one first um so i think one thing is as they learn about the climate crisis um it may feel like very overwhelming you know thinking about how to fix the climate crisis um, is a really big order. Um, but what I want to say is that it's not a mystery either. Um, like we know what needs to be done. We already have the necessary solutions. So it is really just a matter of implementing them. Um, and then on top of that, there's not one way for them to participate in fighting the climate crisis. Like you don't have to be a politician making like, like pushing, thinking about the US specifically, like you don't have to be the one person who wrote the Green New Deal and is pushing it through Congress. Um, there are so many ways to get involved. I mean, thinking about our youth um, who can't even vote yet are still able to make change um, and use their unique skills, whether that's through protesting or education or using their artistic skills. Um, 
there are so many ways to get involved. So even though it does feel overwhelming, you know, you're not alone. There are so many ways to contribute and there are so many people who are contributing. Um, and that, you know, we're on the right track um, or in, in some ways we're on the right track. And I think the movement is only growing. Mm. Um, so even if it feels overwhelming, even if you don't know much about it, it's not too late to get involved. That's a great message. Brilliant. And uh, anything from you, Linda? Oh, yeah. So, you know, initially I wanted to jump on to like the IPCC report or maybe talk about some graphs. But I think what I'd really like to say is so try this for one week before you go to bed at night. When you turn out the lights, ask yourself, what do I know about climate change? That's brilliant. And actually, even people who think they know will probably find that they don't know as much as they'd like to yeah and and i think people are afraid to even take the first step and it always begins at least for me with curiosity and so if you can just think about well what do i know how what, what and then that can breed i think these little seeds can breed interest and curiosity and we just need people to be curious about this curious leads to action i think and many people are afraid to even think about climate change and it's, it, it can feel overwhelming. So I think small little steps to start are important. Do you think you'll only focus on students? Because obviously there are people out there who are my age, probably <laughs> in their 30s, <laughs> um, who would want to do something to, to do with climate change. Maybe they've only just discovered that they have a real passion for the environment. How can people like me come and help? you <laughs> yeah well i mean you know i never thought about it before we do have a team of judges that sometimes and we have leaders that talk to our council thank you linda and that brings me to my final question for you both which is who inspires you and how can we get involved um okay this may sound cliche but i i definitely think it's the students that we work with that inspire me the most and really propel me to do this year in and year out. And um, I love seeing, you know, their passion, their eagerness, um, and their hope for a better future for everybody. So it's, to me, that's the most inspiring thing. People want to get involved. We are always encouraging mentorship. Like for instance, if you do podcasts, we have a team of like three teens from the council who want to do a podcast. So maybe a little mentorship would be awesome. But um, but you can always go to bassy.org and just even looking at the gallery would be a great way to engage. Thank you, Linda. Merrick? Yeah, for me, um, my inspiration, similar to Linda's, um, I also just want to give like a shout out to the teachers um, who I find so inspiring. Um, oftentimes students find our contest because of our teachers um, or because teachers in our network or teachers who just stumble upon us. Um, and we know that Teaching is really hard, uh, especially in the like post COVID world. Um, and so we are just so grateful for teachers who really care about their students, wanna give their students every opportunity um, and look for opportunities beyond like the standardized tests and everything to get their students involved and put in that extra work to give their students a voice and give their students a chance to shine. Um, so they inspire me. Oh, well, thank you. You two are very inspirational. I mean, you're inspiring me now. <laughs> I feel like my mind since this conversation is brimming with ideas about how I want to try and help. <laughs> so thank you so much for everything that you do. Well, and thank, thank you. you so much for having us.